G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It is crisis time around the world as nations battle to control coronavirus. Well, our Australian experience is a little like a dream run compared to so many nations. Nations like India have a huge challenge with a global pandemic and lacking a robust public health system and so, so many living in fear. Well, poor testing rates in India mean that millions more may be impacted by COVID-19. So let's get some insights today into the challenge in India. Kate is joining us. Kate is CEO of the Dignity Freedom Network, serving the poorest people in India, known as the Dalit people. They're known as the lowest in India's caste system. And uh, so some Great thoughts and insights ahead. I hope you can stay around. A special welcome along to you, Kate. Thanks, Neil. Great to be back on the show. Kate, let's talk about India and perhaps in a broader sense here for a few moments. Uh, Cases and deaths in India from coronavirus and there's obviously going to be some sorts of issues around what the actual figures that are reported and and uh, those that might have gone undetected. What are your thoughts and what you've been gleaning from your on-the-ground network that's happening in India now? Yes, Neil, it's absolutely horrific. So India has now topped 5 million coronavirus infections officially. As you say, the numbers are quite uh, unrelated, but... 83,000 deaths have been reported. Now, this doesn't include the thousands and thousands of people who have died without being tested. So as of this week, they're saying there's around 90,000 new cases every day that are being reported. Massive shortages of intensive care beds and oxygen supplies. Um, And as you say, this doesn't really reflect the actual numbers because they're using testing methods that don't necessarily... Uh, collect or or give a lot of false negatives. And so when you count the real numbers, it's really quite scary what's happening. They're actually saying numbers could continue to increase with the the spike yet to come. They're now saying September, October, but really nobody knows. Okay, so if we're getting a little context here, when you say 90,000 new cases every day being reported... And the tip of the spike is not there yet. The biggest spikes, the biggest numbers are yet to come. That is obviously a concern. And Kate, where you've got operations on the ground, and I'm not sure how specific you can be, but you've got a number of medical clinics across different parts of India. Give us a little insight into the work for, uh, that you're doing with Dignity Freedom Network. Well, so we have community health workers in our schools. We have 103 schools across India, and so the schools have a community health worker connected to them. So these workers already know the local language and they already have the trust 
of the villages, they have the respect of the villages. And additionally, we, we haven't yet talked about the lockdowns, but schools are still locked down. So our schools have actually become hubs in the community where these health workers operate out of. And so they've been expanding beyond the general health care that they do with a lot more focus on coronavirus prevention, hand washing, sanitising and so on. But we've also been able to set up telemedicine in a number of these schools so it expands the capacity and capability of these health workers. Okay we'll get on to telemedicine get some more insights from you around that. Uh, Let's talk about the lockdown you say the schools are still locked down is this in your understanding right across India? Right so the school year actually begins in June in India and so the time of sort of April May was actually school holidays anyway but schools did close earlier before the school year finished. Everybody expected the schools would open as normal, but the date's been pushed back and pushed back. So the the last press release we saw from August the 29th says that schools they're hoping will reopen on September the 30th. But of course, this could change again, particularly if the cases continue to increase, as we've already talked about. So schools, uh, colleges, all of those things are still closed at the moment. Kate, just as we lay a bit of a foundation for our conversation today, uh, you also work with uh, who are the young women known as the Jogany Girls. Uh, give us some insights into your work with these particular girls and uh, the plight that they find themselves in. Yes, so even outside of coronavirus, these are girls who are Dalit girls. So from birth, they've been told that they're worthless. But there comes the time a time in the life of some of these girls where they get identified to be dedicated to the temple goddess. There's a whole ceremony that happens. These little girls have no idea what is going to happen in their lives. They could be 13 or 14, but they could be as young as five or six. Uh, Once they hit puberty, they get uh, sold basically to the highest bidder in the village for the night. And after that, any man in the village can use these girls anytime he likes, day or night. So, I won't go into specifics because uh, I don't know the age of the listeners, but if you're thinking terrible things, you're on the right track. And these girls can be abused a dozen times a day and it's just deemed part of the practice and, and nothing to complain about and they just have to agree and go along with it. Okay, so we describe that in the general sense as like a temple prostitution. And I know that in many parts of India, this has been outlawed. But uh, obviously into the regional areas, it still exists in a significant way. How do you describe how the the whole nation of India uh, is respondent to this idea of of, uh, girls being used in, in temple prostitution like this? Well, as you say, Neil, it actually has been outlawed. So in 1988, it was made officially illegal in India. That didn't trickle down to the villages. And so many people in India, most people, in fact, in the major cities and such, would assume that it's a practice that has come to an end many, many years ago. But with illiterate people who live in the villages, it just hasn't been enacted. And so one of the first things we did was bring lawyers alongside of us to actually frame prosecutable laws that we could then take into the villages and work with the village leaders and the village police and such to help us to bring the practice to an end, to connect with these women and explain it's illegal, they don't have to say yes to these men and then empower them. But also these women become our workers in the village and when they hear that there's going to be a dedication, they contact our team who then come in and work with the families and with the local officials to prevent the dedication happening in the first place. So it's, it's a twofold uh, 
approach that we have. One is the prevention of the dedication, so cutting off the supply chain there, but also empowering women to leave the practice as well. Well, I'm going to invite listeners to join in our conversation shortly. I mean, some listeners, this will be the first time they've ever heard of anything like this happening and wondering how this happens in a 21st century world. Uh, but uh, we'll open our talkback lines shortly, one 316 You might have your own thoughts about uh, the way that we support uh, organisations like Dignity Freedom Network who are working in India, 103 schools, community health workers connected to those schools. So dealing with the issues around coronavirus, uh, prevention, awareness and uh, also uh, the challenges that are there as they work with the Jogany girls. Uh, let's talk about where these girls come from, Kate, because they come from a caste in India, which is the lowest caste. You might like to just enlighten listeners on how this whole caste system works because a certain set of people are at the lowest level and don't have any respect at all. This is where these jogany girls come from, this lowest caste called the Dalits. How does the caste system work and what puts these jogany girls in the picture from the Dalit people? So the caste system permeates the whole infrastructure of India and just the mindset. So people are born in a caste, they live within that caste, they marry within that caste and they work within that caste. And it is just something that people in India well, and other countries that have the caste system just understand. And it's a very hard concept to explain, but there's a group of people who fall outside the caste system or below the caste system. And these are the Dalit people. So there's around 250 million of these people. So approximately 10 times the population of Australia um, we don't know the exact number. Some of these people don't have any birth certificates or any record that they even exist. And so even in a census, they don't capture all the number of these people. But we work to restore the dignity of these people and let them know they actually have inherent value and worth because they're created in God's image. And then, as mentioned, we provide education and health care and vocational training and such. But Women across the board in India are treated as being lower than men. And so even in uh, two years ago, India was identified as being the most dangerous country in the world for women, which was a real surprise because often you might think of other countries like Yemen or Afghanistan or other countries, but India across a whole range of metrics was identified as being the most dangerous country. But this particular practice, because it's a systemic practice where it has happened for thousands of years in these villages, it's just deemed to be a part of the culture and so there really is no understanding that this is a horrific practice and for many years the Jogany girls have been dancing in the temples and, and, and performing rites within Hinduism and many people today would think that that is all that they do. So the fact that many of them are actually sexually abused so many times a day, trapped in this horrific uh, just unbelievable heinous practice is just kind of mind-boggling but as I say most people in India don't realize that that is actually what happens to many of these girls so the work we're involved with actually happens in quite a limited area in Andhra Pradesh, Telangana and Karnataka so it is quite uh, geographically located. 
You know, uh, controversially, uh, there are some people who say when it comes to Christian influence in other nations, they should say, they would say, uh, why don't the Christians just stay out of everybody else's business and let the Hindus do what the Hindus do and let the Christians do what the Christians do and stop interfering? Well, I wonder whether you've got a thought or two around that because when there are young women, as you say, and not even young women, as children as young as five or six, uh, often young teenage girls who are caught in these practices which are a part of, uh, we would have to say, a part of the foundation of that Hindu religion, uh, that Christians, when you're working in another country, uh, should leave that neglected. And uh, I can hear your heartbeat here, but you you obviously come across people sometimes who might say uh, Christians should keep their nose in their own business. What are your thoughts for that, Kate? Oh, so it's a really interesting question, Neil. And I think for us, we're very, very deliberate about raising up national leaders within India who will be the ones who own the ministry and they're the ones who go into the villages and work with these women and girls. And certainly the villages we've been working in, as we work with the village leaders, most of whom are Hindus, we bring them on a journey of understanding that this practice is is, is wrong, it's evil. And so whether they become Christians or don't become Christians, it's a mindset of understanding that abusing young girls day and night is just not acceptable in any culture, in any form. So we don't criticise Hinduism, we don't uh, criticise the Indian government at all. In fact, we we work very closely with our local leaders uh, because we want them to understand and be the ones who support and drive the end of this practice happening rather than us doing it because then it will happen much quicker and also it will be sustainable. Uh, our main focus we have is, is to let these women and girls know that even though they've been told that they're worthless, we believe that they're made in the image of God. And according to Genesis chapter 1, they have inherent value and worth because God loves them, because he created them, because he created them in his image. So that's what we do. We empower these women with the understanding that they are precious in God's sight. And what a fabulous solution, because when we talk about our Christian values, when someone responds to Christ in another cultural context, and they begin to capture the biblical values, uh, those values that Jesus brings into the life, uh, those values that, as you say, when people are created in the image and likeness of God, they have value. So uh, then you're training up those nationals to be the frontline rescuers, to be the frontline carers, to be the ones that will actually uh, see this whole mission ministry through to a, a wonderful outcome for all of these young women. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Wonderful insights into what's happening on the ground in India so far as a COVID response and the challenges too that organisations like the Dignity Freedom Network and they're working in their day-to-day mission role, raising up nationals in India to rescue these young women, these young women who are called Jogany Girls, as young as five or six uh, into their early teenage years, uh, being used as temple prostitutes, even though the practice is outlawed across the nation. It still happens in the regional centres where it's been a part of the Hindu culture. 
Uh, our special guest is Kate from Dignity Freedom Network. Kate, let me ask you about the way that the lockdowns right across India have been affecting especially the poor. No doubt in India you've got the rich and you've got the different levels in those castes that uh, are part of a system in India, but the poor especially affected. What are your thoughts for how the poor have been uh, dramatically affected by lockdowns during the COVID situation? Yes, Neil, that's a great question. So many of us in Australia have been impacted by the lockdowns and, and I actually live in Melbourne. So for us, we're still under very, very strict lockdowns. But we saw, you know, lots of pictures of, of families playing games together and jigsaw puzzles and, you know, ha- having that extra time together that, you know, that they'll probably miss it at some stage. But for people in India, I've already mentioned the schools have been closed, the universities. So that's going to have a huge impact across the nation with the young people. But with a four-hour notice, the lockdown was imposed earlier in the year and many of the poor people work hand-to-mouth. They earn as little as $2 a day. These are people who are rickshaw pullers or street-side sellers with little markets, garbage collectors, and just within four hours they were told lockdown is happening, there will be no work. So they didn't have that luxury of going and buying toilet paper or canned goods or pasta or all the things that we saw happening here in Australia. So basically they have nowhere to store food, they had no capacity to buy food and as they they lost their jobs, many of them are migrant workers from up north so they had no capacity to pay for their rent so they were kicked out and at that time we saw this footage of people walking thousands of kilometres home and with that many of them were dying on the way from starvation or from all sorts of other horrendous things that happened but they just had no alternative when they did get home you know many of them have outdoor toilets many of them share a pump in their village and yet they were banned from leaving their houses and there were police were were, um, hitting people as they were leaving their houses but you know they don't even have toilets in their houses or or fresh drinking water they just made it even harder and then there's just the, the squalor and the overcrowding in the slums means that the infection just spreads. It's a right breeding ground. And then with people unemployed, alcoholism and drunkenness and domestic abuse and girls going missing and a depth of hopelessness. If you think how difficult it was in Australia with lockdown, just absolutely multiply that to the nth degree. And, and you're just getting a glimpse of what it's like for many of these people. And, of course, when you've got that uh, that gravitation out of the cities, because there is no work, everything's been shut down, uh, back to uh, those rural communities, you've also got a spread of the virus, no doubt, uh, whereas some communities might have been protected. When, when there is no work, people go back to their regular community and uh, then, uh, no doubt, carriers of the virus as well. Absolutely, exactly. And that's just been so much the case, and that's where a lot of the spread came from. But another thing that's really impacted our team is that with this poverty comes a desperation. So we have so many of these girls going missing, either because the families are trafficking them for money or because they're putting their girls into to child bride marriages, which are completely illegal as well. And they're doing it just to get some money to put some food on the table. So we have had girls going missing. We're filing reports with the police. We're tracking these girls down and we're trying to return these girls to a place of safety. And that's just been another whole aspect that hasn't been covered in any of the the news coverage that I've seen, but it's part of the reality of our team on the ground. 
the reality of a nation that has extensive poverty, this idea of prostitution increasing in very hard times because it was already there, existent in normal times, uh, when times even get tougher, there's prostitution increases. It's the idea of uh, sex for food. Uh, is that something that you're, you're indicating here has, has increased dramatically? Uh, it's not even so much the prostitution side, although I'm sure that that's the case too, but where our team have been working, it's been girls, little girls that have been going missing. So one little girl, Akela, she's 13. Their parents went to the local police, but the local police know their Dalit, so they didn't give them any attention, didn't help at all. So they contacted our field team and they know the rights and the law and everything. So they're the ones who actually went in and then advocated for this family, filed a report and subsequent to this, the girl was found um, just after a few days because of the pushback that our team were able to do. Um, she was well on her way to being trafficked across the country. And it's that kind of thing that our team are also facing and being really proactive about. So the police don't listen to the Dalits, so they might come with a complaint, but because they are of this lowest caste, uh, they're not taken seriously. And is that the same uh, with ordinary uh, access to the type of medical care that you might hope would be there? Uh, is it the same thing where the lowest of the low get left out outside uh, when it comes to these issues in, in typical medical care that might happen throughout India? Yes, absolutely. And it's not just because, it's also because many of the lower pe lower caste people are illiterate. So they don't necessarily know their rights and they don't necessarily have the wherewithal or the confidence to be able to pursue the things that they need. So if you've been told that you're worthless since you were born, that you have no rights, and, and that's really what you believe. If you have a slave mindset, then you live within that paradigm. And so that's what we're really trying to break. But we have... Women and girls, we have people who have diabetes. They try and get help, but they they find that the clinics don't want to know about it because they're so overrun with COVID-19. And so they just don't know where to go. And again, that's where our community health workers want to build that relationship and say, we have help, we can come alongside you, we can get you tests, we can get you antiretrovirals, we can get you insulin, you know, we can help in so many ways. And um, But it, it's just empowering these people to understand they actually are worthy and people care about them and that there is help out there. Kate, I want to talk more after the news too about what you're doing to <clears throat> to raise awareness about the issues around the Dalit people and the good work that you do through the Dignity Freedom Network. Uh, you ordinarily have the opportunity to stand in front of groups and churches and tell the story. Uh, you ordinarily have your fundraising dinners that keep you afloat and keep people aware and interested and, uh, and even ploughing some dollars into the good work that you're doing. Uh, that's come to a standstill. As you say, you're in Melbourne. You're in lockdown too. Uh, you've resorted to uh, just uh, having a wonderful opportunity to do some uh, some uh, streaming uh, gatherings. Uh, give us a little insight here, just ahead of the news, about the sorts of things you're doing to keep people aware of what's going on in India. Yes, we're limited to five kilometres from our house. means we don't have a lot of capacity to share the story. So we have pivoted to have online streamed events happening this Saturday for anybody who lives on the west coast of Australia and the following Saturday for anybody on the east coast. These are not Zoom meetings. We have interactive 
uh, format. We have videos from India. We have interviews with our team in in India, and we are emceeing the whole thing right from our lounge room. So we'd love people to join in, learn more about what we do, and it's actually a really, really fun evening. Marina Pryor is our special guest through uh, those evenings, and we just want to get the word out so people can hear about what we're doing and be a part of making a difference in the lives of these women and girls. So there's one this Saturday night, and you said there's the next one a week later. And uh, do you need to uh, register to be a part of those? Uh, The dfn.org.au website, is that where people would go? Absolutely. So all you need is an internet uh, access, and we'll provide all the resources and the link, but you must register because otherwise you won't have the link and we won't be able to give you the resources. So as you say, jump on our website, also our Facebook page. You can find out information or email us at info at Before we move on to uh, some other issues, let's just reflect on the response of one person who responded on our Facebook post today. And this might illustrate uh, what is controversial about the idea of uh, being one who might support uh, good work that's going on in another country when we have our own issues of coronavirus here in Australia. Of course, the question that I'm asking on Facebook today, should Australian Christians prioritise funding for COVID relief in other nations? Well, uh, one uh, respondent to the Facebook question says no. We need to be focused on our own country. Australia is too invested in helping to keep everyone else's grass green while letting ours die. When does foreign aid ever come to us in a time of need? It's us constantly sending out millions and millions. Our country is in a recession. How is sending money out of the country a good idea right now? Now, there's some significant issues uh, to raise in a response like that. And Kate, I'm going to throw you in the deep end here. That must be, that hurts, doesn't it, when someone says uh, don't help people overseas when we recognise that the the challenge is so big for uh, those who are in India. What are your thoughts for a, a listener that might say that? Well, as I mentioned, I actually live in Melbourne, so I can't even travel 5Ks from my house and the lockdown restrictions are huge. But on the other side, we know our government has introduced measures like JobKeeper and JobSeeker. And and while it's really, really hard out there, and and we know of many people who have been impacted, not just by, you know, the deaths of COVID-19 or the fear of it, but by losing their jobs and the financial fallout and mental health and suicides. And it's absolutely tragic. And every day our team meets on Zoom and we have a prayer time and we pray for our partners who have lost their jobs you know, pilots who won't be flying anytime soon. And it's really, really hard for many people here. And we certainly don't take that lightly. On the other side, we are blessed to be a blessing and we do have this safety net. Whereas in countries like India, when something like this happens, the poorest of the poor are just so impacted and they don't have JobKeeper to fall back on. And they don't have the other initiatives that our government has put in place. I think just to perhaps qualify and not necessarily to defend the person who made the post, there is a certain sense in which they may be making a reference to our foreign aid budget. And just to qualify that the question that I've asked on Facebook today, should Australian Christians 
prioritise funding for COVID relief in other nations? I think uh, that's a different question than if you were asking about how Australia's foreign aid is being spent. That is a huge issue and does come up significantly when there is a federal election uh, at play. Uh, but in this sense here today, I think uh, I think the question that I'm asking is certainly around the idea of Christians who might have a a sort of drawing in their own hearts to do something beyond our shores. Not everyone in Australia is hurting right now. And as you say, Kate, you're under lockdown. You're under strict lockdown in Melbourne. But people around Australia listening to our conversation today may not be in the same circumstances as even you find yourself in. And certainly we're nothing like what is happening on the the continent, on the uh, uh, and the uh, Asian nation uh, of India uh, challenging there. It is a, there is a sense here, Kate, India could be more greatly impacted by COVID-19 than any other country in the world. We're talking about a population of 1.3, 1.4 billion people, uh, the poorest of the poor in the Dalit uh, caste. Uh, what are your thoughts for the fact that India may well be more greatly impacted than co- by COVID-19 than any other country? I think the sheer numbers just absolutely suggest that. And it's, again, coming back to the situation here. So, again, we have this safety net that helps us. And as you say, it's about Christians reaching out and doing something. So there's more people in India today that fear dying from starvation than dying from COVID-19. And so that's one of the areas that our group have been pivoting to as well is establishing food distribution for these people. And that's the kind of thing that, of course, there's huge needs in Australia and so many people are struggling, lost their jobs, and I just think it's a heartbreaking time here. But when you multiply that to the nth degree by the numbers in India and the fact that also, no matter what we believe, our culture here is based on a Judeo-Christian understanding of the value of people compared to the Hindu philosophy of the different caste systems. And it just means that so many people in India do miss out so, for example, the Indian government has been providing rice across the nation for people, and I think that's absolutely terrific. But there's not a lot of nutritional value in rice. And so our team have been expanding that by providing a nutritional supplements that people can add to their rice, which does have vitamins and minerals and, and other things that will help the people themselves become more robust so that they can actually have something in them to fight the disease should they uh, be infected. Your team in India, uh, there's a number of different ways that you're making the expression that you do. One of those ways is through the Good Shepherd Medical Care and it's positioned to respond uh, through clinics and community health care workers. Uh, as you say, uh, you've got these uh, nutritional supplements that you're providing because while people are getting rice, uh, there's a little more needed uh, for survival. When we talk about survival, this idea of a fear of starvation, uh, in fact, you say, Kate, that it's a bigger fear than contracting COVID-19. Fear of starvation, How, from, from your resources and your contacts on the ground, what are they saying about people and their fear of starvation? Well, it's just such a huge thing. And if you think particularly of parents, you know, and how we want to do the best for our kids and all of a sudden there's nothing to put on the table for your kids is absolutely heartbreaking. And there's such a sense of hopelessness as well that goes along with that, of the helplessness and not being able to do anything about it. It's not like you can just go out and get a job and and make it 
change because the jobs just aren't there. And when we're talking recession, recession in India is just totally going to impact the poorest of the poor. It'll be those ones who, who struggle the most. And so here's the situation that happened recently. We've got uh, one of our people that our team have connected with through this. Uh, she lost her job and so she had to go further and further afield. She was in an abusive marriage and so uh, she was empowered to, to move on and she and her three daughters who were 10, 8 and 6 were living on their own and she had to keep going further and further away just to get some basic labouring jobs that she could bring some money home and put food on the table for these girls. But uh, the girls then were just at home alone and the 10-year-old was uh, abused and raped uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And so this lady was thinking, if I go out to work, I can get some food, but if I, don't, if I do go out to work, my girls are at risk. So she connected with one of our community health workers and now that community health worker takes the girls along with her each day and looks after them and makes sure that they're protected um, and also helps them connect with our online learning through our school program. And so these girls now are able to have something to do during the day so they're not so bored, but it's also equipping them. Um, so the community health workers do far more than just the health side. They actually look to the greater health of the whole community and particularly the vulnerable people. Not only health workers, but uh, even physical protectors. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from James in Kyabram in Victoria. Hi, James. Welcome. Yes, g'day, Neil. Hi, Kate. Um, it's so wonderful to hear what you're doing. I, after compassion of being forced to move out of uh, India, it's so good to hear that people are rising up and doing something there, like... Um, my thoughts were when Neil was mentioning about the pro, you know, organising to have funds going in. You know, I think I wasn't so sure about the organising of the funds, but there's definitely funds required. But as the Bible said, is one part suffer in the body, whether they be in India or whatever. One part suffer, we all suffer. So, not saying God makes it overburdensome for us, but I believe, you know, and endorse what you're doing. I'm hoping to get on in on to that Zoom uh, meeting and try and find out. My other friend, Pastor Abraham, who's uh, in a organisation Christ for India and he has like 10,000 pastors under him and a whole range of orphans and they're feeding children on the streets and helping them get to school because normally they'd have to go and try and work to get money to just get something to eat but now because he's feeding them they're actually able to go to school so an organised um, process to me is just uh, that's just incredible I'm just so glad to hear of it just I uh, wanted to encourage you with uh, your efforts and try and Wonderful you know, thoughts, James. Let's get a, a thought or two here from Kate for James. Well, thanks so much for calling in, James, and I'm excited to hear that you would like to join our dinners. So typically our dinners are in major centres, and I think pivoting to this virtual online format means that people from everywhere, from Kyabram, from all over Australia can join. And I think, you know, we've had people join from Penguin in Tasmania and uh, from Townsville as well and so it's just terrific and it's great to hear that you're connected with people who are doing a fantastic job in India as well there's such huge needs James thank you so much for your call Talkback line open 1-800-316-316 and uh, just coming back here for a few moments uh, to the desperate needs in India and right across India and uh, all of the good work you're doing Kate it really is still just a drop in the bucket needs to have all sorts of organisations uh, that are attentive to the needs of India uh, coming from all around the world not just Australia but a uh, wonderful privilege to be able to bring a bit of a spotlight on the good work that you're doing 
90,000 new cases every day being reported. Of 5 million infections so far. There's been 83,000 deaths in India, and that is not even going to be an accurate reflection. The real numbers are going to be much, much bigger than that. But the spike is continuing to rise. The numbers are getting worse. It's going to be worse this month. It's going to be worse next month. Uh, It's just a huge, huge challenge. And uh, you've got 103 schools that you're running and community health workers connected to those schools. Uh, You've also got your uh, Good Shepherd your Good Shepherd uh, health centres that are also functioning and providing these sorts of uh, opportunities for the the nutrients uh, where people are missing out. Uh, there's challenging times ahead. And so with the dinners that you're running, Kate, I just want to ask you because uh, you have someone like our last caller who'd love to be able to participate in this. This is something that people can participate in all over Australia. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you've got a special guest who's going to be appearing and uh, Marina Pryor who has a strong Christian faith and uh, as a supporter, no doubt, of uh, DFN. uh, What's your connection with Marina? Oh, well, we've been friends for many years now, which I just consider such a blessing. She's an incredible lady. Uh, She and her husband Grant are just an incredible couple and we feel very blessed to have them as supporters of our work and part of what we do, but... Here's an example. So people like Marina and Grant, when lockdown happens, theatre closes down. They they were ready to be doing shows and all sorts of, you know, events during the year. Well, all of that just came to a grinding halt. So there's just one example that a lot of people don't think of when they think of what lockdown actually looks like in Australia and the ramifications. But even in the midst of it, you know, she's still so supportive of what we do and really wanting to get behind our dinners and support us in the way that she can. So it's just amazing. And she's going to be singing as part of your uh, your dinners that you've got happening and uh, their virtual dinners uh, happening online this Saturday night uh, for the West Coast. So because of different time zones here in Australia, uh, Saturday night specially designed for the West Coast and then another one on the 26th of September and it's specially designed for the East Coast. So uh, wonderful celebrations. What sort of things are you going to bring to the fore? Because you've going to, you're going to have some connections with people on the ground in India. Uh, give us a description of what happens at one of these online uh, gatherings. So... Over the years, we've shared about the Jogany girls and about the girls who are most at risk who live in our shelter. So people from all over Australia have contributed money to pay for this new shelter. So we're going to have a tour of that. It's it's It was almost ready to be opened when lockdown hit. So uh, it has paused, but it's almost ready. So there'll be a tour of that. The shelter girls are going to do a very special thank you performance for us. Uh, Marina will be singing. We'll be having an interview with our chief doctor in India. So Dr. Beryl will be talking to us about the situation on the ground. When I did the interview with her about a week ago, she was looking a little bit tired. She's since been identified as being COVID positive herself, um, as have many people uh, in our team at the moment, which is really hard. Um, And she's also needing our prayers to be able to function and to run the program um, while she's in quarantine and and in recovery so she'll be sharing her story and it's just 
people chat, people share recipes. We encourage people to buy Indian food or make it themselves, gather with friends where they can, obviously not in Melbourne, but around the rest of Australia. People have been gathering in Nara in groups, having dinner parties, and then they tune in and they get fantastic fellowship around their table and inspirational stories from India uh, coming across through their television during the evening. Fabulous opportunity to get together with friends around some Indian food and so many Aussies, that's their favourite food, Indian food, and an opportunity to find out what's happening on the ground in India and to have access to a wonderful special performance from Marina Pryor. Now, Marina Pryor, so well known for musicals like The Phantom of the Opera, Cats, Les Miserables, and as you say, ordinarily she'd be working in theatre right now, but she's in lockdown too. But she's going to be Mm -hmm. singing on your uh, presentation uh, this coming Saturday night and then the following Saturday, and I've just got a song here from Marina Pryor, and let's take a few moments to just enjoy uh, Marina and her fabulous gift. What a voice. Uh, This is a song that she recorded with Mark Vincent and it's such a well-known song too. Let's enjoy it for a few moments and we'll come back and we'll give the details about how listeners can really lock in and be a part of these dinners this Saturday night and the following Saturday. But this is Marina Pryor and Mark Vincent. Un mondo ed è giù 
Vincent and Marina Pryor, a friend of Dignity Freedom Network and is going to be a special guest in their online presentation for the dinners that are coming up this Saturday night and the following Saturday. So this Saturday night for the West Coast. And uh, just to to just cap things off here, uh, Kate, uh, in the West Coast, uh, it's going to be starting at what time? Well, they both start at 7.30, so on Saturday night it'll be a very late night for us because we're in Melbourne. Uh, but we're doing actually three dinners, one in West Coast, one in the East Coast and one in New Zealand, but in every place that we have them, they start at 7.30 for that local group. Of course, if you live in Darwin, you can join the West Coast and it's a bit different. If you're in Adelaide, you can join the East Coast and it's a little bit different, but we go by Australian Western Standard Time and Australian Eastern Standard Time. So it is a report, it's an update, but let's not hide anything here. This is an opportunity for people who connect with Dignity Freedom Network and be part of one of these dinners. You're wanting a few more friends, you're wanting a few more supporters because the need is much greater than you can even hopefully, possibly even dream of meeting. But uh, every cent, every dollar is going to be important. It is going to be a fundraiser as well. That's correct, and we want to continue... uh Working with these Jogany women and girls, we want to continue empowering more and more women to leave the practice. We want to expand into more villages. This is actually a form of human trafficking that we believe can come to a complete end in our lifetime. And so that's where we want to just continue to raise funds, send it to India, get the work happening, have testimonies and stories of these women and girls finding their dignity restored and a hope and a future. Okay, dfn.org.au. That's Dignity Freedom Network, dfn.org.au. And uh, just to top off, uh, I was asking a Facebook question, should Australian Christians prioritise funding for COVID relief in other nations? Well, uh, Karen says, yes, most of us still have way more of everything than the poor of India. 
Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 37 comes to mind of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Uh, Well done, Karen, good thoughts in that. And thanks to everyone who's responded, whether you've said yes or whether you said no. uh, Opportunity there to engage with other listeners. Uh, Kate, wonderful to get your update once again. All the best with those dinners. This Saturday night for the West, the following Saturday for the Eastern States dfn.org.au Kate, the CEO of Dignity Freedom Network in Australia Kate, thanks for the update today on 2020 Lovely to talk to you again Neil and thank you for having me on the show Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media To find out more about us go to vision.org.au 